We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Wednesday, the 7th day of December, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and two very special guests, but I'll get to them in just a moment. Bruce, how are you today? Healthy and alive as usual. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. And joining us again today from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com are Weston and Melissa. How are the two of you? Well, thank you. Very good. Fantastic. Did you all have a nice Thanksgiving? Oh, it was, it was great. A lot of food. I think they were about seven pies for 15 people so <laughs> oh you know it, it's the craziest thing you know i'm i'm in i'm in the middle of of europe and you know how the germans are very famous like all over the world for their bakeries and their baked goods and, and everything else and they are unbelievable like you walk into a german bakery it is just like you could be a, you could turn into a diabetic before you leave right because there's just that much stuff in there that's just so good but they don't know pie of all the baked goods that they do, they don't know pie. They do like strudel and cakes and all kinds of stuff, but not pie. So if I want uh, pie, unfortunately, I have to make it myself. So yeah, I had to, yeah. they don't even sell like the, the pie plates or the forms or anything like that. I have to import those. Wow. If I want them. Yeah. No, so. we had to, we had pumpkin and pecan and oh, apple yeah. cranberry. And there was even a four seasons that had some peach in it and oh, oh blueberry. Goodness. It was just too good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the, sure I can't forget the French silk chocolate. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. I can tell I can tell you this. Uh, they do like it whenever I make one and I take it somewhere as, you know, like, to, hey, I've brought some dessert kind of thing. I'm lucky if I get a slice of it. So I don't know why they don't no. love it. And, and I don't know why they don't make it. Uh, but anyway, I guess it's just a. You well, know, you, you may have just stumbled thing. upon you may have stumbled upon uh, a little shop you can open. Johnny's well, pie shop. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I've I've actually had people tell me that before. They're like, you know, you could sell those, and I, I'm like, yeah, but of course, now in the age of COVID, you've got to have uh, all of the you know the COVID checks and everything else. And you know, I I had some family that were in the restaurant business many many years ago, and oh my goodness, was it awful! It was it was yeah. terrible. As in, like, you don't get any like there's there's no life outside of the restaurant. That is your life, and no, you know, and I think your profit margin is slim to you know know, not there. Yeah. And you have to work very hard to make a living. I think people get into it and stay with it because they just love it. You know, they, they love it other, or they're a big, huge corporation in a chain, but yeah, that's the problem too, is you can't really open up the small business, especially right now with everything that's going on with the economies and, you know, supply chain disruptions and everything else. I mean, you know, you got all that stuff to consider. And then of course, taking out business loans. I mean, that's a, that's a hell of a racket well, these days. Why would you even want to start a business when you can stay home oh, and watch Netflix? Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess if I wanted a loan, then I could just consult um, FTX. It's a great place to get some money, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great place to do some business. <laughs> yeah. 
You guys have been following um, the uh, the FTX crash uh, and, and everything that's been going on with that. Uh, we, we got plenty on that we can talk about. You know, uh, we were talking in prep and Melissa, you said that you were when you were looking at all the crypto stuff uh, back in the um, uh, back in the beginning, uh, or I guess not, maybe not so much in the uh, beginning. beginning it, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. OK. I, I, um, yeah, I think it was probably about 2018 and 19. Uh, you know, Alan was just talking about the need to have other options for people to order and donate. And he said, let's look into this. And, you know, I was he was having me explain to him what blockchain was. And I, I'm no tech geek, you know, but I was saying, well, you see, this is how the blockchain and, he, and then you have to get a wallet. And, you know, so he's like, oh, I don't you know. But what I found in researching it that was so interesting to me was it didn't take me very long at all to figure out that all crypto roads lead to the World Economic Forum, or they did. You were saying that you would that they had scrubbed a bit of that footprint there. But oh yes, they were heavily. Yeah, yeah, well, they were heavily promoting the whole idea of cryptocurrency for years because this is where they want us to go. Maybe not with the unauthorized version of it, but the central bank version for sure. We're going digital. Yeah, and if you if you were to go over to the uh, the World Economic Forum in the beginning, uh, I mean, you had of course there's Bankman Fried himself, but right next to this is uh, the World Economic Forum, and that was the advertisement that they had on their uh, their website for the longest oh, time. Ex- yeah, yeah, that's great. Oh, that is so great that you have that. Oh yeah, yeah, and then of course if you were to go there now, they've never heard of it. Uh, it's just a and you know, wait, don't, don't I mean, doesn't it feel like they give these actors their names? You know, you had. Bernie Madoff with the money, and now you have Bankman Freed. <laughs> I forgot about Bernie Madoff. Osama Ben Bernanke is what we used to call him back in yeah. uh, back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. But yeah, I no, I, I really, uh, I, I think, I think the same thing. You know, we've we've kind of uh, we've kind of surmised around here that that is what they did in the first place is they created the crypto markets uh, in order to get everybody into it. And then once you got into it, then they would pop the bubble later. If you look at what the central banks do, they do essentially the same thing with other commodities, such as like housing. They'll set the stage where everybody gets you know invested in like the real estate market or something or, or something to that effect. And then once everybody gets into it, then they'll pop the bubble and people will lose everything. So, I mean, that's what they did with the housing crisis. Yeah, exactly. And then they'll turn around and say, oh, well, it's because we didn't have this oversight. We didn't have this regulation. And so we've got to put all this in now and we have to have this new way of doing things. And all it does is it, it shears the, the marketplace. It cuts you and I and everybody else like us. It cuts us out of the marketplace and it gives them more more control and more centralized control in the uh, in the system itself. Well, what, one of the things that they said after the crash in 2008, all the financial thinkers said, well, this is just the beginning. There is going to be a part two to this crash because it's not sustainable. And you're I mean, we've seen in the States, at least uh, a real cooling I mean, first of all, the interest rates have raised, but there's a real cooling in the housing market. And I do believe that they intend to deliver part two of their crash. Yeah. And if you if you go if you go by the um, uh, the metrics that we were at in 1929, I, I've listened to uh, some historians and some people that are big market guys, big investors that have been in the Wall Street game for a good number of years. When I say a good number of years, I'm talking better part of two decades. And as I've said before, 
you know, I know people uh, personally that are close to me that have been in that business for it's been over 20 years now. And you don't last very long in that market if you don't make people money. So you obviously know uh, what you're doing to stay in that game. Otherwise, people aren't going to invest it with you and you're not going to have any income because that's how they make their money. And these people that have studied uh, 29 and even prior to, I mean, 29 was just, uh, you know, was a, <laughs> was a... It was just one of many crashes. Ex- exactly, exactly. Since the, the inception of the central bank. And now they're saying that we're literally trending on every mile marker, like every road sign that led up to 29, you know, what happened in 29, we're hitting every single mark up until that point. So I think you're right, is we're actually going to see uh, another crash. And it's going to be worse than 2000 or than 2000. It's going to be well, it's gonna be worse than 2008. But it's going to be worse than 1929. In the respect that we have on top of it now, We've got a currency crisis. We've got a supply chain crisis. We've got a food crisis. We've got an energy crisis. We've got shipping and, and everything else. All the logistical supply lines. Yeah, go ahead. There's also an employment issue. That like, le- there's less people in the prime of their life in the workforce than ever before. I think, like it said, uh, I was just reading earlier today. But like, there's like people ages like you know, eighteen to fifty four. There's labor force participation is just going down and down and down. And it's been going down even before COVID, but especially after COVID, it's you, there's not like there's no labor force participation. It's just you know falling, right? As well, so and that, and we're looking at these companies, the, these Fortune 30 companies like Amazon and Apple and Facebook or Meta, whatever the parent company is. They've lost it, just just Amazon and and Facebook. All right, just those two companies, just those two alone have lost a trillion in value in the last 12 months. And we're supposed to act like none of this is actually happening. And they laid off thousands of people too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these these problems, as you say, Melissa, these problems are coming uh, and it's going to hit home. And a lot of people aren't going to be expecting it. That's going to be the sad part right there is it's going to be uh, the, the wake up call for a lot of people is where it's going to hit home and people are going to lose everything. Now, I don't believe uh, and I don't see how. I mean, a lot of people think that the, the crash of 29 led to the Great Depression. That's not what happened. The market crash didn't cause that. What caused that were guys like Carnegie, Ford, J.P. Morgan, Rockefeller, you know, the big investors of their time. They pulled all their money after the market came down or actually before the market came down. They didn't lose anything, but they pulled everything out. They stopped all of their investment. Investment banking shut down after the market crashed. And they didn't have anybody to invest in the marketplace. That's what caused the depression. And if you look at guys like Bill Gates, big investor, they're doing the same thing now. He's guys like him. They're doing the same thing now. So they're not going to lose any this, money. This was also exacerbated um, a similar thing. I haven't thought too much about it, but to what we're being told now, supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. Well, around the time of the Great Depression, you had the planned destruction of food. You know, this was propping up a market, but you had people, you know, had to turn in, they just let produce waste. They burned things. Poured bleach they poured it. bleach on it so that it wouldn't be usable so that they could prop up markets at certain times and certain places. So they made food either inedible or unavailable. And, and the, all of that was a contributing factor, too. I, I, I'll just toss in and say that uh, we've talked about all of these supply chain issues that we've had here lately, all the issues that we're seeing here lately. 
is akin to, as you were saying, the the earlier 1929 crash when that happened. It, we're we're having the same build up to that. You have companies that are intentionally uh, shutting down, be it because of COVID related things or because of uh, China shutting down some of their, you know, what their one or, or the no COVID policy that they have going on. Or uh, it's just businesses uh, cutting back in general, um, you know, because of climate change or what kind of nonsense they come up with. So this is yet again engineered by the uh, elite, finger quotes, and uh, they're going to cause another uh, major crash like this. We're, We're already seeing problems with like inflation and whatnot, and the average person is feeling it. But I'm... I, I'm convinced they're going to do this. It's going to go further. They're going to go even more into this. They they need to, they need, if they're going to have their global rule, like they're wanting, they need to have some kind of uh, a singular currency. And I think that's why they're going with the crypto and trying to get people to, to be like, oh, we got to regulate this. So then they come in with their own. And then uh, now they have the money, they can track everything. We already have here in the U.S. Um, oh, what was that? Uh, the the 1099 or whatever it is. Uh, uh, if you spend more than six hundred dollars starting this January, yes. Yes. they're going to track it. Yes, uh, it yeah. used to be twenty thousand. How's that yep. for a drop? Twenty thousand before yeah. they track it. Now it's six hundred. Yeah, and they they also had uh, it was something like uh, two hundred or or something listings or something. I, I forget exactly what it was, but there was two hundred counts of it before they sent you paperwork on it or something. I, I forget what it was, but it was like, it was something about 200. Anyway, they switched that from 200 to one. So yeah. now if you have one count of it, they're going to send you a 1099. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, this is, they're, they're, they're trying to track and crack down on everything. So now if you want to use one of these unsanctioned uh, cryptocurrencies to evade them, they're going to have a means to track you. Cause if you're spending $600 and getting some of this, uh, you know, uh, unsupported currency, they'll know about it. So uh, they're starting to crack down and we're seeing kind of the signs of them going towards that one world, one uh, global currency. Well, one of the things uh, I think Johnny mentioned to Weston a couple of weeks ago that maybe one thing you'd be interested in talking about was MKUltra. And you're tossing that out there just kind of coincided with the fact that I was reading a book by Tom O'Neill that was published a couple of years ago, I think maybe three years ago now, um, called Chaos. I can show you a picture of the cover of that. But what makes me, I mean, so yeah, we've been thinking about MKUltra, but uh, the last couple of weeks, or at least when I started this book, maybe three weeks ago, I've been looking at everything through the lens of mind control. And someone sent me um, a documentary a couple of days ago, and I have not had a chance to finish it. It's about two hours, 15 minutes. I've gotten a little, about maybe an hour. Yeah, it's called The Big Reset. And it was done by a fellow. It's a English accent that's narrating it. But most of the experts, there are a lot of experts that that I've not heard of because they're drawing on uh, Spanish experts or Italian experts. There's some Germans and there's some French people, but it's very, very interesting and useful as just a succinct recapping of how COVID-19 played out, the pre-planning of it um, and down to the fallout of it. So it, it looks like a really good piece of a, a useful reference video. 
But the thing that struck me was there was a place in there where they, they were talking about what was the real purpose of lockdowns. Well, a lot of people have rightly claimed that the real purpose of the lockdown was to destroy small business. And there certainly was, I mean, that's evident, people losing their jobs, losing their businesses, and they will never recover from that. But they made the assertion in this film, which was interesting, that the purpose of the lockdown was mind control, <laughs> brainwashing. Because when you're okay. sitting at home, yeah, when, yeah, when you're sitting at home, and you're you're uh, many people that were at home were getting a an authorized message about what was happening, whether they were getting that message from mainstream media and the news, or whether they were getting it from little clips that they saw on. YouTube or social media, that the prevailing messages that we got was be afraid, be very afraid. And that is brainwashing. Psychic it's driving. psychic it driving. It is mind control. It is. We uh, we actually talked about that at the time. It, and I think uh, the name of that podcast we did was, uh, I believe it was the psychological trauma of public health or, or something like that, whatever it was. We did, mm -hmm. we did two of them. Uh, and that was one of them. And in that we discussed Albert Biederman's chart of coercion uh, that was published by Amnesty International. And in there, we went down through the criteria of torture, mental torture and physical torture and how it's, you know, I illegal. It's against the you know Geneva Convention, international law and all the rest of it. And as we're going down through there, we're literally making side by side comparisons. This is during the lockdown. We're making side by side comparisons of everything that everybody's being told. And it goes exactly to your point. And the, to that point, uh, that Biederman talked that Albert Biederman talked about it was called the monopolization of your perception. And that's exactly what it was. Once everybody was away from their usual social structures, i.e. your gyms, restaurants, taverns, bars, uh, schools, wherever, right? Social clubs, e everything. You weren't allowed to be around other people because at that point you couldn't, quote, conspire and say, hey, wait a minute, all of this is wrong and this shouldn't be happening. We need to get together and we need to shut this down because this is ridiculous. Instead, everybody got sent home and everybody was told, you got to be afraid, you know, be afraid. You don't trust your neighbor because this asymptomatic thing and you could kill grandma and you don't know what you're, you know, you're going to kill all your family members. It came down to you're forced to watch the mainstream media to figure out what's going on because you can't talk to anybody else. You're forced mm -hmm. to look at social media and see what's going on on there when we know what the tech companies were doing there, right? Everybody right. was forced, uh, force fed the same agenda. If you had any dissenting voice whatsoever, you were shut down, you were labeled misinformation and, and a conspiracy theorist and a science denier, uh, you were denying medicine. And, and it was it was exactly that. It, it was a form of mental torture is what it was. Well, one of the interesting things, I mean, uh, you know, Tom O'Neill doesn't end up with a smoking gun per se, but he did uncover some things that no other researcher or journalist had uncovered. But one of the interesting things is that he put together for you, you know, they had their little, their small tranche of information that's, that supposedly wasn't destroyed when uh, Richard Helms, uh, the retiring head of the CIA, said to uh, Gottlieb, you've got to destroy all record of MKUltra. They, they had these documents, I think maybe 20,000 of them or so. They tell a damning story of experiments that were done on unwitting victims, citizens, all, you know, also agents, military, you name it. It was across the board. But what you really see when you look at this is how complicit academia 
science, the so-called revered scientific institutions like, um, I think it's the National, I, I don't remember the name Allen of it. But the, well, the Allen Memorial, but also one, one of the key mental health uh, research organizations in the U.S. that's still on the go today. They were all involved in these studies and somehow we're supposed to believe that this attitude, this willingness for academia and scientific research institutions to go along with whatever the mandate is, oh, that just stopped in 1973. People are really above board when they do something and there is no concerted effort to present so-called science in a way to coerce people to go along with it. It's ongoing. It's obviously ongoing. And in, in Britain, you saw this exposed with SAGE. They were doing their psychic driving of fear all through the pandemic. And even though it's been exposed, do you think that SAGE has been shut down? No. No. As a matter of fact, one of the um, one of the advisors for SAGE, I mean, I know there were many, but one of the advisors for SAGE was a uh, was a woman by the name of uh, Professor uh, Susan uh, Mickey, I think her name was. And she was on BBC publicly stating that we need to keep all these uh, restrictions in, regardless of whether or not it has anything to do with COVID. We've got to keep all these things in forever. We, we've we've mm -hmm. got to keep in uh, the masks, the lockdowns, the social distancing, our behavior towards everybody needs to fundamentally change forever, was what she said. Well, and there will always noticed, be illnesses going around, I guess. Yeah, but we, we <laughs> noticed that, that something was off in the early days when, when SAGE was formed, and they, they were bringing in people. We were, we were looking at the people they were putting on SAGE, and we're like, these are all behavioral psychologists. These are not mm -hmm. like doctors or, or scientists or whatever. These are, these are psychologists. These are mental health people. And it, mm -hmm. it's just, like the whole thing's just turned into a, to a madhouse. And if you go on to the CDC's website, which I showed you what was on there today, they now recommend mm -hmm. you got to like, it's COVID everything. And they now recommend that you've got to get a, a shot every eight weeks. I mean, this, this is, right. this is crazy. This is insane. Right. And see, you know, I, I mean, CIA control of the media or the media per se is not a part of MK Ultra, but you know, they had their own project for the media and that's ongoing. And, and this is a, the thing, I, I think it's so good to get, you know, what I always think of it as the Alan Watt, you know, aerial view or the, the big picture view to always remember you can't just go back into doing your own independent research with whatever the media outlet is without always being aware that there is control behind everything you're looking at. What's a peer-reviewed study, you know? How many times have we seen peer-reviewed studies completely made up out of whole cloth? Yeah, you the, you uh, saw Lancet, Lancet Gate during COVID. I mean, and, and you know... They had to read that study about hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. Yeah, they hid that. They hid ivermectin. Of course, they say now that that was just a recommendation, and it's the the double speak, the the reverse, the, the reverting of of everything that they said. Now that they've they've outed everything, and you were asking in prep, you say, why do you think that they're all scrambling now? Because they can't hide the bodies. <laughs> in reality, that's that's what it is. It's like they're to the point now where it's like like these these people are literally dropping dead. On, on air that uh, that basketball announcer I was telling you about that I showed you the video of clearly yes. as you said 
That was a cardiac event. Clearly what that what that man was experiencing right there. They've released a statement. The team has just released a statement. They say he was just dehydrated. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it was an event. It, it could have been a stroke. It, it could have been a cardiac arrest, but it was it was not dehydrated. <laughs> no, it was not dehydration. I've seen people that are dehydrated. I've seen people that have had strokes before, and that's what it looked like, at least yeah. to me. Yeah. Uh, not a uh, not somebody that's dehydrated. To kind of get back to the MK Ultra thing, Weston, you had uh, pulled some uh, initial findings on that and it comes out of the Tavistock Institute, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it's interesting as well in the conspiracy literature Mullins actually has mentioned this, and this is uh, I would this is, I would think would merit further study. I'm not he doesn't cite unfortunately he doesn't cite a source on that. I mean I know he got a lot of stuff from a congressional record, and he would say and he actually did cite quite a lot of bit of his information in the later editions of his books, The Secrets of the Federal Reserve. But he also stated this, and I actually have a quote from it. Um, I'll read it really quick. He says that uh, the Tavistock Institute was taken over by Sir John Rawlings Reese, head of the British Army Psychological Warfare Viewer. A cadre of highly trained specialists in psychological warfare was built up in total secrecy. In 50 years, the name Tavistock Institute appears only twice in the index of the New York Times. Yet this group, according to the La Roche and other authorities, organized and trained the entire staffs of the Office of the Strategic Services, the Strategic Bombing Survey, Supreme Headquarters of the Allied, Allied Expeditionary Forces, and other key services. OSS. Look, I'm just reading over your oh, shoulder. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> key American military groups during World War II. During World War II, the Tavistock Institute combined with the Medical Sciences Division of the Rockefeller Foundation for esoteric experiments with mind-altering drugs. The present drug culture of the United States is traced in its entirety to this institute, which supervised the Central Intelligence Agency's training programs. The LSD counterculture originated with when Sandoz AG, a Swiss pharmaceutical house owned by S.G. Warburg and Company, developed a new drug from a lysergic acid called LSD. James Paul Warburg, son of Paul Warburg, who had written the Federal Reserve Act in 1910, financed a subsidiary, subsidiary of the Tavistock in the United States called the Institute for Policy, whose director, Marcus Raskin, was appointed to the National Security Council. James Paul Warburg set up a CIA program to experiment with LSD on CIA, CIA agents, some of whom later committed suicide. This program, MK Ultra, supervised by Dr. Gottlieb, resulted in huge lawsuits against the United States government by the families of the victim. And so that's like an interesting bit in the literature that I think it merits further investigation because I'm, I'm certainly no one's disproved it as far as I know. So yeah, yeah. that's a really big, that's a really big bomb. It, it is. Sidney Gottlieb. Yeah. I, to, to, on that point, I was actually going to ask about that individual, Sidney Gottlieb. I wonder, and I'm just, I'm just kind of guessing here, and I, I'm just curious. I wonder, and it's an open-ended question, I'll have to look into it. I wonder if that's any relation to Dr. Scott Gottlieb, one of the supposed experts, who was the former CEO of Pfizer, who is now on the board of the FDA. I'm just curious. Mm, that is a good uh, a research uh, yeah. point to go into. I'll have to look into that. Well, he, he was an interesting, when he retired, um, in, in the early 70s, coinciding with destroying all of the information around MKUltra. And then they had the, was it the, the church committee that investigated this? Rockefeller one. And they, yeah, they're, yeah they're like they, they were going to investigate themselves. But, you know, Seymour Hirsch, <laughs> the journalist, uncovered all of this. And they so they end up having to have this hearing over it. Well, when Gottlieb was questioned about it, 
he downplayed everything that had been accomplished with or that had that he said had not been accomplished. Because I think if you're just going to cut to the chase and say, what were they doing? They were trying to create an assassin, you know, the Manchuria candidate who could do something, who could be programmed to kill and then programmed to forget that he had killed. And he said, we were not MK Ultra, the CIA with MK Ultra, we were not able to be successful with anything that we had set out to do. But one of the things that and this journalist Tom O'Neill proves in his book Chaos, he actually, and he is the first journalist to do this, he uncovered a direct link between uh, Dr. Uh, Jolly and West. They called him Jolly West, but it was um, Jolly and West. He uncovered a link. A whole series of letters, correspondence between West and Gottlieb. And West told him, I actually, I think I marked it in the book. And if you want to hear it, because to me, yeah, this please. goes right down. This is this is exactly what they're talking about right now uh, in neuroscience. They're saying, oh, if we could just figure out how to get rid of people's bad memories, like soldiers who come back with uh, PTSD and, and, you know, well, According to West, they had already done that. He's writing in these letters. He said, um, if I can find it, uh, and, and actually I can't find it at the moment, but the let I'll keep looking for it. The letters he said, we I, I have been able to get rid of a memory and replace it with a new memory. Which is you know one of their main objectives, so yep. that that would be a success. Okay. He says the document uh, marked classified was right there in West's files. I had to assume that the CIA had destroyed any copies. They've never publicly acknowledged West's groundbreaking deed. He'd done it. He said he claimed to have achieved the impossible. He knew how to replace true memories with false ones in human beings without their knowledge. And in case the CIA didn't grasp the significance of this, then West went on to put it in uh, layman's terms. It has been found to be feasible to take the memory of a definite event in the life of an individual and through hypnotic suggestion, bring about the subsequent conscious recall to the effect that this event never actually took place, but that a different fictional event actually did occur. So while the program was going on, this was in the 50s at the very beginning. So I imagine since Gottlieb knew about this, since this was documented, they had all kinds of experiences in doing what the, you know, in 1973, Gottlieb said, well, we couldn't do it. We tried. It was a failure. Yeah, it makes me it makes me wonder, really, if you look at, at what's happened, I mean, kind of bringing it up to, to the modern day, if you if you look at what's been done to people through the media, through social media and the programming to the average public, all of this seems to me like it stems from exactly what you're talking about is that I don't want to say that organization, but it is. And the reason I say that is because if you look at these corporations that are feeding everybody this information, that are steering the agenda in a certain way, if you look at the people that are employed in these companies, they all work for the CIA, all of them. If you if you go back and you look, they all worked in like cybersecurity. They all worked in um, uh, in counterterrorism, counterintelligence, these types of departments within the CIA. And they get right to the point where they're about to retire. 
So if you work a government job, you can take a pension after 20 years, a full pension after 20 years. These people leave like, I don't know, six months, uh, eight months, 15 months before they can take a full pension. And they'll go to work for one of these uh, these companies like Facebook or Twitter or, or something like that or a media company. Uh, or another online news outlet or something behind the scenes that you don't see. Or they'll go to work for like Apple or, or Google or something like that. And it's like, wait a minute, why are you going to work for these companies? Well, when you're that close to doing that, when you're doing that kind of work for the CIA and you're that close to retirement, and then you go to work behind the scenes for one of these companies, you're sacrificing an entire pension to go to work for them. Why would you do that? It makes me wonder, because all of these companies, like the social media companies and everything, they were all created out of the grant programs out of Harvard that were sponsored by the CIA. And it's the same program that Klaus Schwab comes out of, is exactly the same one. What kind of sick psychologists, and that's that's what they are, it seems like, what kind of sick psychologists come up with this kind of stuff? Well, that is an interesting question. That that really is. I mean... I can't even fathom. You know, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm a... I don't know. I, I'm, I have empathy. I have, you know, I, I have a moral compass about myself. I can't even fathom, like e- even from an experimentation standpoint, I can't even fathom putting colleagues through such an event, let alone creating a stage to do it on a mass scale and, and allowing it to grow and ferment and fester into what we see now. And it seems like every time that we start our research in a particular line, so we want to look at company X, whatever that is, right? And I'm talking about like a a tech company or something. We look at one of those. It always leads back the CIA and Harvard. If you go to uh, an organization like the World Economic Forum, again, always leads back to the CIA and Harvard. (laughs) It's like all roads, just like we're talking about with crypto. If we start tracing crypto back, it leads to Harvard. <laughs> yes, so, it. It doesn't lead to like, MIT. <laughs> it, it does. It leads to MIT, and and we're like, well, and then of course this this uh, this girl, this um, this girlfriend of this Bankman Freed, uh, ah. Caroline Allison or whatever. She's yes. the head of, of oh, Alameda. She's interesting. Oh, yeah. she's something. She was just spotted in New York. There was rumor that she was in Hong Kong, but she was just spotted in New York. She's just taken a lawyer from the uh, the Hillary Clinton camp. So, you know, something is up there. Uh. Um, but it looks like she's about to throw old, old Bankman Freed overboard. But if you look at her, where does she come from? She comes from Harvard University. She comes from... Well, you know who... I, I, I'm. Uh, you'd have to do the homework on this because it might have gone out of my head. But her... Both of her parents are economists, top uh-huh. level economists. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I want to say MIT, but maybe it's Harvard. MIT. I don't know. Maybe. No. No, M- Berkeley, Berkeley is Sam's folks. They're, they're M- connected to yeah. Berkeley. But- MIT. Yeah, you're on the right path. MIT. And of course, her father is one of the heads of the Security and Exchange Commission. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, so what's the likelihood of this? And, you know, She's an interesting little character. I just kind of dove in really quickly. And she looks like an anime character. Um, I know she's a grown woman. (laughs) She's a grown woman. um, But, you know, she's like a combination of, oh, who's that Swedish brat? Uh, Greta Thunberg. Yeah, she's like Greta Thunberg meets uh, anime character meets, you know, and, and she's got this whole blog that she did on... I mean, I don't want to go too off track there, but evidently she and Sam were living in some kind of a group relationship house down in the Bahamas where there was, uh, you know, partner kind of, yeah, nine or 10 people. And many of them were uh, changing partners, so to speak. 
And uh, she had blogged about the idea that um, there should be a kind of a harem idea. Your ranking as where you fit in the harem should be known publicly to everybody in the group. And then you could all compete to get top position in the harem. <laughs> these are sick people. Oh, but um, it's not eyes wide shut when you start no. looking at these. No, no, no. No, no, of course not. Not at all. So, okay. So keeping with this agenda that, that's coming out of these organizations, they all have to start somewhere, right? And mm -hmm. the nearest I can tell, they all start from think tanks, right? These, these think tanks, Weston, you and I have, and, and Bruce, we've talked about think tanks before. Uh, and I, I had turned you on to an interesting character uh, by the name of Herman Kahn. Uh, and Herman Kahn right. is one of the guys that's, uh, that's worked with Kissinger before at Harvard University. He's worked with guys like John K. Galbraith. And he mm -hmm. is also the founder of the Hudson Institute. The Hudson Institute is another one of these uh, these think tanks. was founded in 1961. And Kahn, prior to that, was working for the Rand Corporation. I think everybody knows what the Rand mm -hmm. Corporation is. Uh, but I'd like to play this clip uh, that was done on BBC back in the 60s about the Hudson Institute. And this is Kahn himself. Of course, Kahn is, is dead now. Uh, but this is mm -hmm. Kahn himself with his assistant, and just by listening to this, this is about three minutes long, uh, but just by hearing this and the things that they discuss, the things that they talk about, you're able to see exactly the road that we are on now with striking similarity. Take a listen to this. 30 miles north of New York City, the problems of our violent age are pondered over in one of America's most influential think tanks, the Hudson Institute. In this 19th century mansion, they are looking for alternative futures, both utopian and dystopian. The end product of this think tank, scenarios, scripts for the 21st century. Uh, you know, let's admit that you know, the affluence, the skills, technology will really make life better in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we also know these things go badly. Right. Uh, okay, everybody's worried about the, uh, the possibilities of you know, various kinds of social controls and so on. What would the scenario be? Herman Kahn is director of the Institute, Tony Wiener his assistant. It uh, has to involve the, the social controls coming into effect gradually and um, uh, slowly and at each step as a result of some decision which seems to be very much in the general interest. That yeah. is no imposition by um, an evil, uh, evilly intended big brother. How are we going to achieve a utopian peace in our cities, even without the bomb? What is the scenario for a utopian peace? To take a black power movement, right. and one which really is trying to cause problems, but sand in the gears. Right. And you've already set up a good deal of the social uh, watching. Mm. You know, you've got your TV cameras everywhere, you've got your data processing, everybody has his ID card, you've double-checked it. Mm -hmm. And now, all of a sudden, you've got these guys that are throwing sand in the gears. And you clamp down. That is, you keep track of every car. You keep track of every... This is easy to do. You keep track of 10% uh, or 100% of conversation that occurs on telephones. Uh, one could, um, with a computer capacity that will be available in the next couple of decades, one could easily record every phone conversation made. And then one could easily scan 
mechanically, no human being could spend the centuries that would be required. One could scan every conversation looking for keywords that would identify the conversation as uh, worth looking into a little further. So that, for example, uh, one could begin with a naive set of words. Uh, kill, rob, murder, assassinate, plot, uh, conspire. You know, you can do more than that. You can, uh, you could imagine temporarily tranquilizing a whole city. You know, it's been uh, upset, <laughs> the riots. Mm-hmm. You know, let's put trans is either in the air or in the water. Mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. get people settled down a bit. Uh, I can imagine you could even prevent a medicine going out of this kind of state. Mm-hmm. You know, where you really check up with everybody and you see that they keep their drug levels right. Yes. In fact, give uh, the first thing you do when you go into uh, to work is they punch you and check your blood, see that the drug level is what it's supposed to be. So you'll you'll buy the safety. Uh, of your city at the expense of the privacy of individuals. And for most people, most of the time, uh, the intrusion will not be the kind of thing they'd be conscious of. So the scenario for a utopia without violence is achieved at the expense of your private life. And there we have it. What what year was that clip? Do you Uh, know? That was... uh, No, that was in the 60s. That that was in the 1960s. Yeah. Okay. So, but early 60s, you think? Early 60s, yeah. It, it About early to early mid 60s. Okay. Early to mid 60s, yeah. Okay. Well, because it looks to me like every uh, sci-fi writer and filmmaker that was mandatory viewing, you know, what do you have there? Um, THX one. Uh, yeah, you've got uh, Minority Report. I mean, you know, basically that is the blueprint for every sci-fi. So, so talk about predictive programming. <laughs> you've got it all there. That's great. Yeah, it's a great clip. And it's interesting too. They mentioned tranquilizing people through like the water supply and so on. Like that was one of the things they discussed and what they were trying to find with all these drugs they were testing in MKUltra was like an incapacitating agent. You know, it was like something that would like maybe knock you out, maybe 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 make you forget something, but not have like a but just be just that one thing and nothing else. Like it would have very minimal side effects. Or tranquilizing. Yeah. I mean, even Brzezinski, uh was it Brzezinski after nine eleven? Or no, it was um I've forgotten, but it's, it's Alan famously talked yeah. about one of the political advisors who on 9-11 said, well, you know, we're not too worried about mass hysteria because we can always tranquilize from the air, you know? Yeah, I've actually I've I've heard that before, you know, they and you see these even in modern movies. Uh, take one of the uh, I, I believe it was uh, one of the Batman movies. I, I don't know which one, but one of the modern ones where they were literally dumping whatever it was, the tranquilizer in or the one drug that was going to make everybody crazy. They were dumping it into the water supply. And that's like it's still even to this day, they still uh, make entertainment things, normalizing it to people. And I think that's the purpose that they do that is is they want to normalize that just like you know normalizing your perception or monopolizing your perception they want to normalize it once you, once it's there and you know some of the things that have been theorized or posited about the technology you know like 5G and how that might interact with the vaccine or the so-called vaccine that you know a lot of these things people jump on i'm not sure that they satisfy any kind of rigorous research when they put it out there, but definitely they're coming from a place of it is possible. One of the things that I remember reading about during the time of COVID was that your phone, they, they, there were apps, they said, they said that were created that you could actually hold your phone up to someone and tell if they'd been vaccinated or not. Now, 
I you know, who that. knows? I still hear that. Do you? I do. And I, you know, I, I actually, I heard, I heard a guy who was, uh, who was a deputy sheriff. Okay. Now you take this for what you will. I, I heard a guy who was a deputy sheriff who worked courthouse duty, right? They're the ones that, that guard the courthouse. They're the bailiff in the courtrooms and everything in this particular County. I believe it was down in, um, uh, Mississippi. I think it was in the state of Mississippi. Uh, I don't know precisely which County it was, but I was listening to this, um, this deputy sheriff down there who's on courthouse duty. He decided that he was going to run one of these little experiments of his own was exactly that. And I believe you're referring to they, you know, you hold your phone up and they give off like a Bluetooth signal or something like that to, right. to that effect. Now, here's a guy who is sitting there at the entrance of the courthouse and people have to go through metal detectors to get into the courthouse after the whole 9-11 thing. Uh, and of course, we've had the the uh, the birth of uh, smartphones. Everybody's got a phone now. And you're not allowed to, and myself being in and out of the, uh, uh, the courtroom time and again and spending a lot of time in the American justice system, you can't take phones in the courtroom, uh, not even the attorneys. They have to keep them off or in their briefcase or, or something like that. They're not allowed mm -hmm. to have them in there. And so that's another reason for the metal detector screenings at these courthouses. Now, if the deputy sheriff is sitting there and he is making sure that no one that goes into that courtroom has a smartphone on them. And then that deputy sheriff walks down the hall to that courtroom and sitting in that courtroom by himself with the other people, you know, sitting in the back row there when he's looking for Bluetooth signals and they pop up and they're registering right in front of him. What assumption would you make? That the signal uh, occurs whether the phone is on or not. That would be one assumption I might make. Uh, to, to be fair, I would say that it's possible that these attorneys and whatnot uh, had a Bluetooth head uh, earpiece that they forgot was in their pocket or it's something possible. like that. I mean, it's, it's, possible. it's possible something like that. I don't know. I, I don't have any idea. I, look, I mean, we all know that that's where they want to take it, right? They, they want to be able to, I mean, you got, you got guys the likes of which from the World Economic Forum, the advisor to Klaus Schwab, Noel Harari say, look, we've got to, uh, we've got to now implant things under the skin. We've got to find out what's going on uh, with the human body. We need to be able to read all of this information. Why? Why do you and, need to know that? Yeah. And, and, and they've already got quite a bit of information just through the smartphones and the smartphones really... Alan used to have said a few times that uh, really you don't even really need to be chipped with all these smartphones with all the data they can get from them, including your vital signs. They have like different apps that you can use on the phone that can measure different vital signs. Well, so, what, one of the things that that Weston got into um, about a month ago was the era, you know, the the aerosolized spraying, right? And how nano is is smart dust? Yeah, smart dust is in. Whatever. I mean, we could have been smart dusted with an experimental mRNA a decade ago because all we have to go on is, oh, this is brand new technology, but it isn't. They've been playing around with mRNA and including how they were going to make vaccines for a long time now. I don't have Remember a year on in Roderick Gordney's book that you read or at least flipped mm -hmm. it recently? The Human Agenda. I want to say it was agenda. in the Originally, it was in the 80s. Like the, 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 the concept of mRNA, I want to say, was was originally thought up in the 1980s, I think, but it wasn't put into practice. I mean, technology and things of uh, ways of gene editing that had to, of course, you know, progress. Yeah. But yeah, he was talking about in that in that Human Agenda book that was written in the 1970s, I think. He was saying that mRNA could be used to actually alter the DNA. Or I think he actually said the DNA itself, not right. just the expression of it. When was it um, um, that they finished, or at least that they announced to us that they had mapped 
the human genome. When, when was the conclusion of that project? I don't remember the year. Um, I don't know. Bruce, you've talked about that before. Uh, I can't I can't recall the yeah. dates. I, I'm I'm pulling it up now. To yeah, remember. I mean, so I I just I think that well, science is always far far ahead of what we're told that it is. So you know, yeah, I think there's a lot going on. I think that we've already been you know as to Harari, this has to be done. And your question, why? Well, it's it's almost rhetorical. I mean, it's a must be. They have to control the herd. They've wanted to control the herd forever. And they've been, you know, if you listen to that clip that you just played from the Hudson Institute in the 60s, they've known for donkey's years, as Alan would say, where they were going with this. Yeah. And, you know, people are, are like, oh, well, they want to do all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, they've been wanting to do all of this crazy stuff for, for years. It's, and I think we're just now to the point that we are, as a human species, we're to the point now where technologically, if we advance any further, I think they're not going to be able to control uh, anything after that. Uh, I think this is their last chance, uh, in my humble opinion. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I, I think- Well, just are, by... you, are you talking about um, getting ahead of AI or-, or Well, uh... I, don't, I don't necessarily, because I think AI is coming regardless. Um, it's just a matter of, of how it's going to be used at this point, I think. And it's the same thing with, um, uh, with digital currency and, and I think a replacement or a possible alternative to a financial system. We're going to see something new, but it's just a matter of how it's going to be used. Uh, I don't agree with this whole uh, digital ID thing. I mean, this this thing, I mean, they're saying that we need these things because of like consumer purposes, yet they tell us the age of consumerism is over. That in and of itself makes it irrelevant just based on their own wordage. So they can't really give us an actual reason as to why we need this stuff. They just kind well, of assert though, it and say, well, you've got to have it. Even though consumerism is over, remember that uh, you're, you're, you're increasingly people have a, an online life, a digital life or a virtual life, so to speak. And increasingly, even though you can't actually be a consumer in real life, you can actually get physical goods or by, you know, like a person physically giving you some sort of service. You can do it. You can still afford it in the, digi the digital world, the virtual world, and eventually virtual reality as the technology pro progresses. I know they have like some basic virtual VR stuff out already. But that's sort of that direction where they're going with it. So technically, there will be consumerism virtually, just not really. Yeah. But at the same time, though, um, and I, I'm inclined to agree with you, but I, at the same time, though, I, I also look at uh, companies such as Facebook that tried to streamline this. They tried to do the uh, the metaverse and it failed horribly. So I, I don't I well, don't see uh, people. It, I mean, it did, you know, the, it, the, I, it so they said that it failed horribly. I mean, maybe it failed as a launch of a company that we're all privy to watching, but uh, they're rolling out 6G is due to roll out eight years from now. What what year is that? I don't 2030. 2030. They're going to roll out Great 6G. Year. I think I hear there's a lot yeah. going on that year. Absolutely. So I think we're going to be um, actually hearing a lot more about 6G in just a couple, three years. And what that is, is augmented virtual reality. But I think more important is augmented mm -hmm. reality. So that's when you've got your little Apple watch and you just like to see Tinkerbell tell you uh, where to go and what time it is and what the, what a good restaurant in, in the neighborhood is. Or it's that thing that they show you in the sci-fi movies where people are waving their hands in the air, but what they're doing is moving the page on a computer screen and they're doing it, everyone is doing that publicly on a 
subway, that is an example of an augmented reality. And I think um, I lost where I was going with it. But I oh talking about six G. Talking about six G. I think this. Um, I'm going to read something from one of Alan Go Watts' ahead. books. This is the first cutting sure. through book because I. I it was always so busy that it was years that, you know, I hadn't read his books. And after he passed away, I thought, I mean, I had read them, but I mean, it'd been years since I read them. So I reread um, the books and I was so struck on page five of the first book because he said, this is not a rehearsal. This is the final phase of humanity as we know it. Sound shocking? Then go back to your... Tell Levi Sion and continue your programming, your television. Continue your programming. Your faith in the system creates your fate. Those who have no aversion to thinking persevere and you will be rewarded. And he goes on, but I was actually stunned when I read that in a way. You know, I mean, I'd re- you, you always take in new information when you watch or reread something, rewatch. It's like, oh, I didn't see that before. I didn't pick up on that before. But this book was published in 1998. I believe that's the copyright on yes, it. And yes. it, it, 1999, yeah. And so I thought, wow, he so clearly knew where this was going in 1999 before he really had a public presence as a speaker when he was just writing about this. And yet he came out and talked and dedicated himself to doing shows and, you know, relentlessly putting the information out there for people. Because I think what he knew was that this brave new world was inevitable, but there would always be a human or two or three who could come through and carry on information in the way that, well, you know, we're doing right now, we're sharing information. And I never for a moment think that anything that I do or say is going to turn this around. It's a must be. I think we're much further along with the implementation of things. As as they unroll 5G, we're probably already living in a 6G world, but we don't know about it yet because it hasn't been announced and we don't see Tinkerbell coming out of somebody's Apple Watch yet. But I think it's all there and it's just accustoming us to it. Why are they doing that? I, I you know, that's a whole philosophical conversation for another show, but that they are doing it, I have no doubt. Uh, I'll I'll throw in. Uh, um, yeah, we were talking about uh, Meta and their failed um, VR uh, system. Um, there's actually alternatives out there that were there before uh, right. Facebook tried theirs. A, a big one because I'm in the gaming world. I uh, know of some of these. A big one is uh, something called VR Chat. That was actually quite successful and quite well known in the in the gaming world. That's basically what Facebook was trying to mimic. And so the the thing is, this stuff is already there. It's already uh, infiltrating the uh, gaming community. So and the gaming community is a multi-billion dollar industry now. Uh, Pretty much everyone uh, knows of video games or plays them nowadays. So uh, we're, we're we're, you know, we're there. In fact, George Soros just bought a $47 million stake in the video game company Activision. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah oh, that's it, your uh, Call of Duty franchise. That's, uh, yeah, that's all that, yeah. And another thing I would mention too, not only is the VR starting to already here and has been here for a while and they're just, it's just a matter of making it more, gradually making it more advanced, but also augmented reality is already here. They already have yeah. like uh, yeah. glasses that people yeah. can wear. Like in China, they're already using it. 
to identify it, it has like a built-in facial recognition function. Yeah. Yeah. Now that um, stuff, you know, we, we've talked about that before. I mean, we talked about all this stuff like pre-COVID. And I, mm-hmm. I remember when Samsung, right? Everybody's familiar with Samsung. I remember when Samsung yeah. actually put the patent through. I, I caught it. It was the heads-up display. You know how they have that in the cars. You know where the uh, uh, the like the the speedometer and the the tachometer and everything is up on like your windshield or your windscreen for those that are listening to us outside of the U.S. They actually patented that particular technology in contact lenses, and so they've already started to develop their own uh, prototypes of that. And that is another form of like an optical implant or, or something like that. You know, it's another form of this this augmented reality. Is like you're just walking along and boom, you know, you see a phone call that that comes up or a text message or whatever and you see it right it's it's in your eye right but it's right. it's removable that's the thing now does that mean that uh, that i agree with it well not really do i think a lot of people would buy into it yes i think they would but they want to go a step further they want to like elon musk wants to put chips in your brain i'm not interested in that now at the same time you know, I guess this is where I'm of two minds of it. At the same time, if we can use this technology as a human species, right, if we can do this and it can be done to correct, I, I don't know, uh, some type of, uh, of defect, like you're born blind Parkinson's and we can, or- yeah, if we can fix that, you know, if, if, a, if, a, if some kind of a, an implant can fix that and it can give somebody eyesight, that's an amazing thing. That, that is a fantastic achievement for, for humankind to take on. If we can uh, fix somebody that, that has like cerebral palsy or, or something of, of that nature or multiple sclerosis, if we can fix these neurological disorders or Alzheimer's or something, right? If we can do something with, with this technology in order to ease suffering or even end human suffering in these types of defects or if it's a you know a birth uh, defect or something like that, if we can fix that, then I'm okay with it. But as far as voluntarily, Johnny, I- yeah, go ahead. I, I think maybe you could go do PR for DARPA because that's always <laughs> that's how they market it to you. That's how they market yeah, it to you. Yeah, that's how it's is, marketed. And, exactly. and you know the trouble the trouble is we can't do anything with this technology because we don't control it. And they're going to make sure that we never do. So, you know, I mean, I'm not saying we all have to go, you know, Kaczynski, Luddite, mad, but, you know, we don't have control over this. And for those who do, they don't like us, not one little bit. You know, that's the Hararis of the world. So No, he publicly says, he says the biggest uh, challenge that we're going to have economically and, and uh, financially in the future is what are we going to do with all these useless people? He publicly yeah. says that. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you are right. In theory, what can be done when one has access to billions of dollars and amazing research teams is something else. Yeah. Could they do that? But unfortunately, then you're you're headed down to the world of utopia. Right. Right. You end up where Herman Kahn was talking about is is exactly that. You don't even necessarily need uh, some of the things he was talking about, the drugs and all of that. Um, What we found is. Uh, especially now, mind control, all that really takes or is uh, just controlling the narrative, control what you see and hear, and yeah. people will go right along with it. Uh, and, right. And, you know, and I have watched we just people, seen that with COVID. Yeah, I exactly that. I have watched people that I have known for years that are educated, bright, intelligent people literally change before my very eyes 
into somebody that goes along with everything that's, you know, that, that was with the COVID thing. And it's like, uh, who on earth are you? And, and these are the people that were like against things in the in the beginning. They're like, oh, no, they can just do whatever they want. I really don't care. And then all of a sudden, it's like a, a switch got flipped. And I'm sitting here through the, the lockdown period, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, what in God's name is going on with people? Because... I understand psychological behavior to a certain extent. Working in the, you know, in, in the criminal justice system, you have to understand it just a little bit, especially if you're, you know, interrogating people. So I understand it to to an extent, very lim- in a very limited capacity. But what was going on with these people? How people got turned, as in how their their way of thinking got flipped around on itself, was fascinating to me. I, I'm sitting there and I'm having a discussion. As an example, I'm sitting there, I'm having a discussion with somebody who is one of five people on this entire planet that can do what they do. They're a very intelligent person. And it was literally, ah, no, I'm not too worried about it. I mean, this is somebody that is a scientist, as in like Mm -hmm. double doctor scientist, as in he holds two doctor degrees. (laughs) So he's not an unintelligent person. And he was able to look at like uh, what was in the vaccine. Like he actually got a hold of vials and, and put it through his own lab. And was looking at it and was like, oh, yeah, I'm not really worried about it. You know, whatever. And then all of a sudden, within, I don't know, a few weeks, month or two, it completely changed. Oh, no, everybody has to get vaccinated. Of course we do. We, we don't we don't have time to debate this. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, how and how, like, how is this even happening? This is a this is an let me ask you a question when when he said that he was not too worried about it was he not too worried that it would be mandated or was he not too worried about the vaccine because he had looked at it in his laboratory and decided that the ingredients in it were not harmful it was both and but but he has to as an intelligent person he has to know that there was that we are the experiment or those who have been vaccinated are the experiment so how could he go to the point of everybody had to have it. I mean, because yeah. there was no there was no evidence that it was doing anything useful. And that was clear from the beginning. I agree with you. And this these are exactly the same types of points that I tried to raise with this person, but it was following the expert class and and uh-huh. getting yeah. getting the talking points back from everything like we're we're looking at two different versions of the same story. That's the point. Well, I think that the an- you've hit the answer right there then. That's peer pressure. That's the only you thing know, I can surmise is it's is this person yeah. does a lot of work and they get a lot of funding, a lot of grants from a lot of very uh, prominent and um, powerful institutions, shall we say. And if they go against anything like that, then I guess their career is finished. Uh, and, you know, I know of someone um, that, I, that I've that I've known, I've been acquainted with for many, many, many years, and he became a pathologist. And he, he was very, is very successful at that, runs departments and so forth. And he got the Johnson and Johnson. It's got a different name, but I don't remember it. Jansen. The, the Jansen, Jansen. Uh, yeah. vaccination. He and his wife. And he started to blog about what was going on with COVID and what he was seeing. And he, he said, first of all, because he's a pathologist and he's got access to all kinds of tests, just out of curiosity, a month after he was vaccinated, he tested himself and he had a, well, immediately he was like fully loaded with antibodies, right? A month later, he's got 50%. Four months later, he had zero antibodies. Now, this is how they're selling you on booster, booster, booster. 
but he had zero antibodies. So this is when he started to come out and question things, the CDC and all of that. He said, you know, my wife and I, we love to go to jazz festivals and travel and go to wine country or whatever. He said, also, there's the fact that my hospital wasn't going to let me be employed if I wasn't vaccinated. So guess what? I get to keep my job and I get to go to the jazz festival, but I have no immunity to this. I am not um, safe in that I can transmit this to someone. I can catch it again if it comes around my way. So he, he was just questioning things. But his whole journey was, how could these trusted institutions, the CDC, the AMA, you're talking about this, this is like church for these guys who are raised up as researchers and, and physicians. Th this is the high holy and the high holy has lied to them. And those who are willing, and this is a rare doctor, but rare doctors have come out who are willing to say, we've been lied to on a massive scale. Well, it sounds like your acquaintance there with his two PhDs can't make that leap. Or maybe, can't admit to himself or... Yeah, maybe he has. I mean, I haven't spoken to him in, uh, in quite some time, but um, because of that reason, but uh, maybe uh, maybe he has. I, I don't know. Maybe he's come to his senses. But um, I do know one thing. That agenda is still in full swing here. Uh, and it's not really talked about. It's not really discussed uh, what's going on over here. But you cannot, as a just a regular person, you cannot... Enter any kind of medical facility for any reason if you do not have a COVID vaccination, if you do not have a recovered certification COVID pass from the state health authorities, and you cannot enter if you do not test negative for COVID-19. You cannot enter a medical facility unless you meet these criteria, and you have to mandatorily put on a N95 mask, which doesn't do anything. Do those first three uh, requirements that you outlined, are they uh, working together in tandem? In other words, you can't enter the facility if you are recovered and test negative, but you haven't had a vaccine. In other words, you have to have all meet all three requirements. Well, you don't have to meet all three. You don't have to, to be vaccinated, but you have to you have to test negative. That is right. that is a given, of course. Uh, yeah. You don't have to be vaccinated, but uh, you have to test negative and you have to do the mask without exception. Uh, but you cannot enter any kind of medical facility. I mean, that is that is a hospital. That is a private practice. That is any kind of doctor's office. That's a dentist office. I can't even go to see the dentist if I need to. I can't go to a dermatologist. I can't go to forget the psychologist. Those people are insane. Uh, but you can't go into any of these any of these facilities unless you uh, meet this criteria. And it's like and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, and I you know, you talk to like doctors and stuff that don't go along with this. But that's the thing, though. They're they're forced down upon. And I'm my, my first question when I heard this, when I heard this a few days ago, I'm like, OK, where's this coming from? You know, is, is it coming from the, the regional uh, health authorities? Is it coming from the federal health? Where's this coming from? Because it's coming from somewhere. And obviously it's not the doctors, because even the doctors that are against it are like, well, you know, we're not going to do this. They'll have their medical licenses pulled uh, and they'll, they'll be fined out of existence. They'll be charged and, and everything else. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. Where's this coming from and why is it being done? But in the U.S., if you go on to like the um, these organizations like the CDC, the FDA, it's loaded with just nothing but COVID stuff. 
I mean, just absolutely loaded. And it's like Fauci's still there for some reason. I don't know why he was supposed to leave. And he's all over the I mean, the guy's never met a TV camera he didn't love. And then you've got these other guys that are uh, the, like the White House COVID guy or whatever it was, Dr. Ja, the Harvard guy, again, another Harvard guy who's standing up there at the podium saying God gave us two arms so you can get a shot in each arm. At some point, I guess, it, it, my, my point here is, is at some point, there's going to be a breaking point. I don't know when that's going to be or, or what. I do know where I am, uh, at least the consensus as far as feet on the pavement. The German people, these people have been protesting since day one of this, literally since day one. And the tell to that is, is you can tell that it's, uh, it's some type of, a, of an actual movement of foreign by the people. The media is doing absolutely no coverage of it whatsoever. And these people are out every day. And when I say every day, I mean every day. They're out there tonight, marching in the freezing cold, uh, in, in the snow and the rain and whatever. It doesn't matter. They're out there every day. And, and this, not, is, uh, this is across the country. It is. It is. It's, that, a, it's that, in every little town. I can just show you. I can run some footage here behind me. It's in every little town. It's in uh, every little. And you know how the Europeans are. They've got little you know, villages and towns of, you know, thousand people here, a couple of hundred people there. And it's it's pretty much everywhere. And this is this is what's going on tonight. Right. This is this is tonight. And, mm-hmm. you know, none of it is is paid attention to. The media doesn't say one word about it. And any government official that mentions it, they call them enemies of the state. Ooh. So it's yeah, it's, it's a pretty big deal. You know, I mean, the, these people, at least at least to their credit, and they're not out there. They're not trashing things. They're not burning businesses down. They're not smashing out cars or or tearing up government buildings or setting things on fire or anything like that. All of these protests. You mean are giving, they're not peacefully protesting? Yeah, <laughs> yes, they're not mostly peaceful protests. Yes, but they're not they're, they're not out there um, destroying property or anything like that. And they get police escorts and the police are just like, well. You know, they, they, sh- they have to show up, but it's like nothing ever happens. They're, they're not violent or, or anything like that at all. Mm-hmm. And it's like I said, this is this is everywhere here and nothing said about that's, it. That's a great thing to see, Johnny. That's it a is. great thing to see. It is. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the German people for what they're doing uh, and yeah. how they're like they're like I said, it's been every since COVID started since day one, literally day one. It's been this. Uh, every day and they haven't stopped and they don't show any signs of stopping. Uh, and so I got to give them credit for that. They they seem to be fighting harder than than a lot of other countries. And I, I got to give them credit for that. Even when COVID restrictions were basically removed completely, they were still out there protesting just on the principle of it mm-hmm. because people have lost. It goes back to what you were saying earlier. People here have lost just about everything, if not everything. And we're talking about businesses during the lockdowns that were closed, that were ordered closed, that have been in families for hundreds of years. And I I mean that literally, hundreds of years. Some businesses have been in families here since the 1700s in the same family. And they're now out of business and they will not recover. So it's this is it's hard. The fallout from this. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It's just so distressing to see and know about. And uh. yeah, it is. Uh, but like I said, I'm uh, I'm really proud of what people are doing here. Well, we're at time here. We actually went over a little bit, but that's OK. We're uh, we're happy oh. to have you on. Happy to have the extended conversation. We don't get you on that often, you know, once a once a week or so, once every couple of weeks. So we look forward yeah. to uh, to having your back here early as possible convenience. That's an, as I said before, that's an open invitation uh, to come on as we don't have an agenda here. We talk about whatever. Uh, we don't take the mm-hmm. corporate dollars, and I'm certainly not a public relations spokesman for DARPA. <laughs> oh, you know, I was only teasing. Of course. Yeah.
Yeah. No, it's all in good fun. Do you have any final words, anything you'd like to convey to the uh, to our listeners uh, before uh, before you jump out for the week? Yeah, one more point. I, I think that Liz and I had discussed before we, we went on this podcast, we were thinking about MK Ultra, And one of the things we we we, we were thinking, you know, the, the how the how CIA spent millions of dollars to get psychologists to test LSD in various places, including on college campuses, and they had they drove limousines up and threw LSD over the campus walls and so on. One of the effects that we think that we, we suspect, I mean, obviously we, we can't prove it because there's only there's so few documentation. We suspect that uh, part of the intention of this whole MK Ultra idea and this just was to foster a drug culture. And I think that in, the, in that sense is that also. MK Ultra has it has been very successful, and so um, I mean, this microdosing movement just recently, just recent years, that's it's bringing back LSD, it's bringing back psilocybin. That's another thing that they tested in MK Ultra psilocybin, and so on. And so uh, you know, you still have cannabis too. Cannabis was tested in MK Ultra, so you know, like which is sort of like a soma type drug, it's sort of a mild, more mild side effect type drug that you know people can you know smoke and get high and so on and feel good about themselves and feel good about you know the world and so on. And it just sort of like dulls your edge and uh, you know, stops you from speaking out. And, you know, so that's another effect, I think, that, you know, a lot of people don't think about MKL because, you know, they won't. I mean, obviously, they, they always say that, oh, it was just a pesky counterculture that they didn't intend to come out of it. But uh, that's another effect that uh, I think was probably intentional. I mean, why else would you spend millions of dollars researching these drugs if you didn't intend people to use them, you know? Well, I think that's a good point. The the soma culture is important to the transitional phase that we're in right now because the, all that footage that you were just showing us of people, you know, peacefully walking down the street with their placards in every little town in Germany, uh, you know, you you going to stay home and smoke dope and drink beer or are you going to pick up the placard and go out and, you know, demonstrate your unhappiness with a system? And that's it. You know, I never want to get like on the temperance bandwagon too hard, but I do like to see people use their righteous indignation for a good cause. I completely agree. And I can tell you right now, just, you know, between us sitting here having this conversation and what you just saw, that's just a just a snippet. I mean, that's that happens by the the tens of thousands uh, every day here. And I can tell you, those people are not taking digital IDs. Those people are not taking digital currencies. That's just not going to happen. There is light uh, at the end of that tunnel, uh, as I like to say, at least here. Uh, and I'm happy to uh, to see that uh, these people are not taking it lying down by those numbers. So we're going to go ahead and call this one done. I want to thank both of you for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. It always is. Uh, and we look forward to having you back at your earliest possible convenience. Weston, we will see you next week. Yes. All right, Melissa, too, yes. if, if you like. It's entirely up to you. If, if you're not you busy. I, I don't have in front of me what I'm supposed to be doing okay. now next week. So I can't say for sure, but, but no thank problem. you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. absolutely. It, was, it was fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Not a problem. And uh, just really quickly before you go, could you tell people uh, one of the biggest projects that you and some of the uh, latest work that you guys have been working on over at uh, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and what, uh, what would catch uh, listeners uh, interest if they venture over to your site? Well, do you want to talk about purpose-made people? I... Well, uh, yeah, I've already mentioned purpose-made people on here before, but yeah, we've been doing a series. We've actually been talking a lot about drugs and so on in the series. Um, pharmaceutical use. Pharmaceutical use of pharmaceutical. Even brainwashing uh, techniques. And also, you know, we have, we've been posting stuff like I think the re redux that we just uh, recently posted. Alan is talking about eternal controls and how the eternal controls used to be you know, really intense religious teaching indoctrination, but now it's... The short, then of course, once you've lost it, then it comes in, in comes the militarization and you know, all sorts of you know different different phases that society goes through. He goes through um, again, you know. Uh, well, 
listen to Alan. That's that's your message. <laughs> yeah, I did. There are a couple of things. Um, I don't think we want to get into too deeply all the different things we do. I mean, we do plan to do more things in the future. Yeah, there's a, a fun series, a fun little project that we're going to launch in the beginning of the new year, like about mid January. But we don't want to talk about it yet. <laughs> so, fair enough. No, fair enough. It's a surprise. I, of course, of course. But so, everybody should go to cuttingthroughthematrix.com and avail yourselves to the thousands of free audio and interviews that are up there and all the transcripts and transcripts in different languages. There's transcripts in German and French and uh, Russian. Yeah. On sentientsentinel.eu. That's where you have sentientsentinel.eu. Very good. And I encourage all of our listeners to go to those two URLs and check out the amazing work and check out the treasure trove of information that these fine people put out every week. And again, like I said, we look forward to having you back at your earliest possible convenience. Weston, we will see you next week. For those of you who'd like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener, and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. If you know someone you're trying to wake up and get them to think on their own, we'd appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. It's been an absolute pleasure. I want to thank all of you for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.